Good morning. How is everyone? It is a pretty day out there, isn't it? It's beautiful outside. My name is Mike Geki. I'm one of the pastors here at First SF, and it is my privilege to um, kick off our Advent series today. We are taking our Advent series uh, uh, out of Isaiah chapter 9, um, and we are calling it Ancient Advent. I'll be talking more about that in a minute. I think um, as we start Advent, as we go to this Old Testament book of prophecy, I think there's some foundational things we probably need to address this morning. I know that many people in this room have a lot of church experience, have a lot of biblical knowledge. You understand Advent, you understand um, prophecy, and those things seem perfectly normal to you. And there are also, as Ryan prayed this morning, there are also people in here who might hear both of those things and wonder what in the world is going on. And I know that we have people at all places in between on that spectrum. And we want to start this celebration just by laying some basic understanding for us, this celebration of the season of Advent. Um, I think as we do that, there are going to be things for all of us to know and all of us to consider as we um, take you through this month that leads up to Christmas. First of all, really, what is Advent? The season of Advent, which um, that word Advent is just a variation of the Latin word for coming or arrival. It goes way back to the early um, uh, existence of the church. In its most simple definition, it's just a season of longing, of waiting, and anticipation for the coming of Christ to the earth. In the early church, Advent included fasting as a way to remind ourselves of the darkness that we all lived in before Christ. You don't see many churches today doing a churchwide fast during Advent. It doesn't fit well with all of the Christmas parties that we have to attend. We'd all just be standing there looking at that delicious food. We would have nothing to buy at Trader Joe's. <laughs> but this season of Advent is really designed to be a season of longing and of waiting. The longing and waiting doesn't sound very festive, does it? Waiting is decidedly not a modern idea. Neither is longing. We are a very much an instant gratification society. We don't wait for anything, or we don't want to. We get frustrated, I speak personally here, with slow internet. Two-day delivery is no longer fast enough for us. We can't even wait until Thanksgiving to put up our Christmas decorations. <laughs> yes, I'm speaking to you. And even that most holy day of consumerism, Black Friday, has gotten bumped up to Thanksgiving. You know, my parents both grew up in Christian homes. They, they were children in the 40s and the 50s. They observed Advent very differently than we do today. In their homes, the Christmas tree was decorated by their parents, by my grandparents, behind closed doors, and it was not revealed to my parents until Christmas Eve. For me growing up, we had a, an Advent wreath much like this one. We had a white candle in the middle and purple candles and a pink candle on the sides. And for me, though, growing up in a church that, that observed Advent, it was really more about every week another candle was lit. Do we have a candle lit up there today? I think we kind of forgot. There's, one of those is supposed to be lit. <laughs> it's very important. <laughs> because 
As a kid, I would watch each week another candle lit. But mainly it was like I knew when we got to the white candle, it meant we got presents. Advent is hard, I think, in some ways. To, to, to bring in this season of waiting and the season of longing into our swiftly moving currents of consumerism and of efficiency, but also of sentimentality. But we have a hope here in this study of Advent that in the coming weeks, our hope is to help build a sense of longing and a sense of waiting and a sense of anticipation. Because all of those things will make our celebration of Christmas, when it comes, all the more joyous. We've chosen the book of Isaiah to do that in this year, and we're calling this series Ancient Advent. And the reason we called it Ancient Advent is because this idea of Advent really goes back to God's people, to the Israelites in the Old Testament, and they're waiting for the promised Messiah. Advent should, and we hope it will, link our hearts with the hearts of the ancient prophets. In particular, in our study this year, it's the prophet Isaiah. But all of these ancient prophets pined for a long-promised Messiah, but they all died before his arrival. And we, as, as Christ followers today, and as people today, we live in the freedom of Jesus, whose birth we will celebrate on December 25th. But we also wait today. We wait for his return, for the fulfillment of his promise to come again, to make all things new, to wipe away every tear, to heal, and to redeem everything fully. So the book of Isaiah, and if you want to turn there, it's in the Old Testament. If you see Psalms and Proverbs, just go to the right a couple of books, and you'll get to the book of Isaiah. It is a book of the Old Testament, and it is an Old Testament book of prophecy, so if we think about it, in the Old Testament, God's, God, we didn't have a neatly packaged word of God like we do today. God spoke to his people primarily through prophets. He had many prophets. They were proclaimers. They were not what we sometimes think of prophets as much predictors. They were proclaimers. They delivered the word of God. And they delivered what was often an unsought word of God the, the message they brought from God was often one that the people did not want to hear, but they brought that message of God to his people. They were God's mouthpieces. And they called out sin, and they called out rebellion, and they called out spiritual blindness. There were also false prophets in that day, and, and contrary to God's true prophets, the false prophets just tickled ears. They just told the people what they wanted to hear. But God's prophets called out sin and rebellion and spiritual blindness, but they also spoke of the true hope to come. They were often reluctant in their jobs as prophets. But they brought those hard words and they brought the words of hope because they truly cared about God's people. They brought the word of God to his people because they were concerned about the fate of God's people. Every prophet was different. They came from different backgrounds. They had different personalities. They had different giftings. The prophet Isaiah, who we will be studying in, this, in chapter 9 of Isaiah, he was a very influential citizen of the city of Jerusalem. He had easy access to both the king and to the temple. We read that as if we read all of this book. Isaiah describes what he writes in this book as a vision, a vision from God. It is a very long book, 66 chapters. It encompasses the reign of four kings and Isaiah here is speaking to God's people at a very hard time. 
They had rebelled against God. They, they didn't just fail to meet the impossible burdens of the law or the impossible demands of the law, but they intentionally rebelled against God's commands. Their cities were burnt. Their countryside was devastated. Jerusalem was isolated and under siege. And the judgment of God and a very real pervasive sense of darkness was their present reality. Our text is specifically in chapter 9 of Isaiah, which is a bright spot in this book where Isaiah takes so much messages of gloom and he turns them into a message of hope in Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9 reflects this, this glorious reversal that was to happen sometime in the future when God, through grace, would send his provision for a savior. In the passage of chapter 9, we see several references to the coming Christ. References that reflect the character of the one to come. Passages and descriptions that gave hope to the Israelites. And I believe if we will open our hearts during the next four weeks, we'll bring hope to us as well. So our very simple text today is one verse out of Isaiah chapter 9. Janine read it during the Advent reading. It's chapter 2. Read this with me. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. So here is the very simple truth that this passage tells us about Jesus. He is light. He is not just light. He is a great light. He is the light that illuminates the darkness. He is the light of the world. I think we can talk about light a lot in the church, and we do talk about light a lot in the church, but I'm not sure we always sense the magnitude of what it means and how it speaks into the reality of our lives as we walk and live on the earth today. I'm also not sure we fully understand or appreciate the darkness that exists in the absence of light. And those are the things I just want to talk about a little bit this morning. God's word often contrasts dark and light very often, often as a metaphor of good versus evil. And I encourage you, on your own this week, just go to your Bible. The concordance is the section at the back of your Bible that, that has words, and you can find everywhere in the Bible that it talks about those words. Look up darkness and look up light. Read those for yourselves. You will find so much there. But it, what, it, what it essentially says about darkness and light is that God and Jesus are uniformly, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, are uniformly described as light. Evil and sin and anything in opposition to God are uniformly described as darkness. And in this Advent season, for us to fully understand what it means um, that we are waiting the light of the world, we have to understand what it means that Jesus came into a very dark world. Darkness defines the world apart from Christ. As I said, it encompasses sin and hopelessness and anything in opposition to God. Jesus himself said, if you are not with me, you are against me. There is no neutral ground. And this is one of those things as a pastor and, and living in a city with very few Christians and knowing that there are people in this room who don't know him, that is a hard thing for me to say. 
It's a hard thing for me to know that when you hear me say that you as a non-believer in Christ are living in darkness, I know that will be offensive to some of you and that will be hurtful to some of you. But it is truth. And it's not my truth, it is the truth. And it is one of the most important things that you may not want to hear. In our newcomers class, for people interested in, in learning more about our church and becoming a member of First SF, one of our classes, we, we look through the course of the life of each one of us as we take this journey from unbelief to a life committed in, to Christ. And when we look at that journey, we talk about how the world apart from Christ walks in darkness. Ephesians 5.8 says that at one time you were darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. That is every one of us before we surrender our lives to Christ. That is every one of us, whether we grew up in the church and came to Christ at a young age or whether we came to know him as an adult. That is true of every sweet child who does not know Christ and every benevolent philanthropist that does not know Christ and every kind-hearted senior citizen who does not know Christ. If we believe that Jesus is light, then to be without him is to be in darkness. And that should cause our hearts to break. And it should also cause our hearts to yearn for something more. I want to think about this a bit, looking at some characteristics of darkness. The first one is this, evil lurks in the darkness. Ephesians 6.2 says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I think we can imagine easily evil lurking um, in physical darkness. That is why scary movies often take place in the dark. That is why, as kids, we are naturally afraid of the dark. But, of course, it doesn't have to be physically dark for evil to thrive. Evil thrives in broad daylight. Isaiah and Paul in Ephesians, they're talking about spiritual darkness. When the people walked in darkness, it wasn't that there was no sun. It was that they walked in a spiritual darkness. And evil lives and grows in the spiritual darkness of our world today. Obstacles hide in the darkness. Imagine being in a room that is full of stuff, but, a, but completely dark. Imagine if I placed you or somebody placed you in someone else's living room, completely pitch black with no sense of where the opening was or the exit or the entrance or the windows. Imagine trying to move through that. I've been in some of your living rooms. That would be a challenge. And the challenge is because In the dark, there is no clear path. Like that room that is full of obstacles, your only hope is just to feel your way around and hope you somehow find your way. I think we see this sort of living so strongly in our world. I think we see it very strongly in our city. The culture is constantly striving and seeking to find the way the culture is always looking for something more it's looking for the next thing that will give them what they are looking for the next thing that will be the way they are seeking but they never find it and that is why culture is so fluid and is always changing because hope 
is put in things that will never satisfy because in the dark, the way can never be found. And it is exhausting. In John 12, 35, Jesus said this, the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. I think so often, I was talking with Ryan about this this week, that when people only know darkness, they, they develop a sort of contentedness there. They think that life is supposed to be about fumbling around in the dark, hoping to figure something out, fighting just to avoid the obstacles. That's just life. And life is limited to simply making the best of that existence. I think we all would have to admit at some time or another that we have just surrendered to the futility of life in the dark. Or sometimes when light pierces the darkness, it shocks us, and we turn away from it in fear. That is what my son does when I turn on his bright light in the morning to get him out of bed. Because, yes, I'm that kind of dad. Stephanie's very gentle. I flip that light on. But if you in this room have resigned yourself to life as it is, or you have shielded your eyes from the light, please stay with me this morning. Because Advent points us to the truth that we need not stumble around in the dark. There is a clear, well-lit way for us to take. And once our eyes adjust, it is perfect and it is peaceful and it is right. Darkness and light cannot coexist. But many Christians live as if darkness is still their reality. The world apart from Christ may be in darkness, but even for us as Christ followers, we so often walk in the darkness and ignore the light that we have. We do this when we lose sight of who we are, when even we as Christians walk in opposition to God. When we do those things that God has told us not to do, when we don't do those things that God has told us to do. We walk in darkness when we obsess about ourselves in selfishness or self-absorption. We just as easily as everybody else get stuck in the rat race of the world. We're looking for purpose and fulfillment where we will never find it. In our jobs, in relationships, in politics, in sex, in money. And for those of us in the church, often in legalism and religiosity. We live with our eyes shut and we bump around this world just like everybody else. Is it any wonder that when the world sees us and knows that we follow Christ and they see us living the same life they are living, is it any wonder that our faith is not compelling? Part of Advent is contemplating the darkness that existed for the Israelites and the darkness that still exists today. Part of Advent is looking inwardly and asking yourself, where am I still living in the darkness and part of it is looking at our city and beyond our city and contemplating the futility that so many people are living in. A futility that will become infinitely worse in eternity. The futility of a life consumed by darkness. A striving with no path, with no hope, with no way out. Part of Advent is looking at yourself and asking yourself, do I really care? about those living in darkness, or do I just get angry and frustrated with them? Now, I know that talking about darkness, all of this talk about 
evil and l evil lurking and no path and the futility of life during Advent, it might seem a little bit like buzzkill. I would challenge you not to bring it up at your next Christmas party. But it may be buzzkill. But it is what gives meaning to the buzzworthy part of Advent. We have to understand the darkness to fully celebrate the light. And the buzzworthy part of Advent is looking forward to and celebrating the, the coming light, the coming way. The light Isaiah was talking about in chapter 9 verse 2 is Jesus. Janine read from John 1 and John 1 verse 5 says this about Jesus. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. How amazing and celebratory is that? The darkness that seems so powerful to us has no power over the light of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in 8.12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 1 John 1, 5-9 says that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Jesus was born to become the way that the world is looking for. He is light. And in him we have hope from the darkness. Hope from a life of fumbling around, just trying to figure it all out. He is light and he is the way. Think about these characteristics of light in the context of Jesus as light. Light is illuminating. Jesus is the light of the world. He is God. He is the word. That's what Janine read about in John 1. And he and his truth illuminate or shine light on all of the realities of the world and all of our experiences of life. His truth shines light on the bad and on the good. When we see our struggles... When we see worldly tragedies or hurt or oppression or injustice in the light of Jesus, his light allows us to make sense of those things in him, to see him as the solution to those things, not worldly ways. When we allow his light to illuminate the good things in our lives, our loves and our successes and our blessings, we see them for what they are, not accomplishments or something that we deserve that enable pride, but blessings of a good and a gracious God. He illuminates the good and the bad, and he shows us the way through both. Another way to say it is that he enlightens the world for us. The world has sort of taken over that word. The modern definition of the word enlighten is this, having or showing a rational, modern, and well-informed outlook. We see that word often used to pull us away from the truth of God's word. To be enlightened in our, in our modern world is to adopt the idea of the moment about things like faith, creation, gender, sexuality, purpose, morality, authority, submission, marriage, and even truth itself. The modern idea of enlightenment is something that is constantly changing. And it's completely unstable. But you know what the ancient meaning of the word to enlighten was? It was this. Simply to shed light on a subject. That is what Jesus does. He 
and the truth of his word sheds light on everything. He opens our eyes to things we may have never seen before. He sheds light on whatever we might be facing. Psalm 119, verse 105. Psalm 119 is a very long chapter. Psalm 119, verse 105 says that his word is a light unto our path. He shines his light right in front of us. Maybe not as far out as we would always like to see. But we take each step in his light securely. Because his light is showing us exactly where to go. Enlightenment through Jesus is simply God's perspective on the world and our individual lives. And unlike the shifting sands of human enlightenment, Jesus' light, his perspective never changes. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But constant is not the same thing as stagnant. A life enlightened by Christ is both a great adventure and a place of great security. Light also exposes obstacles and pitfalls before they entrap us, before they cause us pain, before they cause us to stumble. If we will open our eyes to the light of Christ, we will see the danger that lurks in front of us, the danger that's waiting to devour us. Sometimes the obstacles that Christ's light exposes are sin. Sometimes they are just things that are unwise. But the light of Christ and his word protects us and warns us and guards us and guides us. Light also helps things grow and thrive. Helps plants grow and thrive. It helps us grow and thrive. Sometimes we forget that we are living, growing, changing beings. And Jesus, as our light, provides what we need to grow into the mature men and women that he has designed us to be. There are many light substitutes out there with limited effectiveness. But only Jesus provides the light needed to grow into all that he has called us to be and into all that matters for eternity. Finally, light is designed to shine. If you are traversing a dark tunnel with a flashlight, it makes no sense to cover the flashlight. That is why when we have the light in us, it makes no sense for us to keep it to ourselves. Yet sometimes we inexplicably do that. I'll speak for myself here. I know that I often, I hide my light. It's like I don't want people to know who I am or what I believe. And when I hide my light, I am effectively helping the darkness stay dark. I know that I, and I confess, am little help in helping the world see the way that it is looking for. And I don't think I'm alone. I think it is time for us, as light bears, to shine our light brightly. As we look forward to Christmas, and as we anticipate the arrival of the light of the world... I challenge you this morning to think about how Christ's light has impacted you and how it could impact those areas where you might still be living in darkness. Sometimes, as I said earlier, the light of Christ just illuminates one step in front of you. I know that when I have been stuck in the dark, maybe it's 
in sin. Maybe it's in misery. Maybe it's, I, I desperately want out. But I'm afraid to take the one step that is lightened before me. I want to see way down the road how it's all going to turn out. But God often just enlightens one step of obedience at a time. One step closer to Christ. I think that walking with Jesus one step at a time is in many ways the essence of faith and the essence of trust. And my prayer for each of you is that you would be willing to take one step at a time into the light of Christ. And then one more step after that, whether you know him or whether you don't. You can trust that he will never take you where his grace and his hope and his love will not protect you, will not encourage you, will not fulfill you, will not enlighten you, will not guide you. He will take you, he will always do those things. It may not be easy, and it may not be fruitful from a human mindset, but he will always be with you in his light. Advent is about more than waiting for Christmas. It means we contemplate the darkness and we look forward to the light. The light of the world that came to us in the form of a little baby. It's what in, in the church we call the incarnation. God coming to the earth in the flesh as that little baby. That little baby grew up. That little baby died on a cross and rose again from the dead so that we might have eternal life. But he will also come again to make all things new. We celebrate the light of Christ that is here now and we long and wait for his return. I think we can all agree, everyone in this room, no matter where we are in the spectrum of faith, we can all agree that things are a mess in our world, right? Romans 8 says that all of creation groans. It groans with the pains of childbirth, waiting for that day when all will be made right. But here's the truth. The world cannot fix itself, but the hope of Christian, Christmas can. There will be a time when the baby whose birth we celebrate will return and make it completely new. And there is so much worthy of celebrating in that reality. We're about to sing a song that speaks so clearly to this idea. It has these words. It says this, do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of this. It is good. That is what Advent provides us. A time to remind ourselves of the darkness that was overcome by Jesus. Whose glory is to be a light within our midst. And a time to hope in the new creation that is to come. I pray this is a powerful season for you. Enjoy our modern Christmas festiveness. But don't lose sight of the magnitude of what we celebrate Christmas is coming. Jesus, the light of the world, is here and he will come again. He is worth the wait, my friends. He's worth the wait.